0: people, when they start a new year, make a lot of resolutions. And um, and Paul had some resolutions, and I, we're going to look at those this morning. But uh, as you think about uh, the new year and uh, what to expect in the new year, uh, and you look at the news and you think, well, um, not a lot of positive, is there? <laughs> a lot of negative stuff. Uh, there's a lot of negative uh, Predictions about you know the covid and and any new strains and those types of things, and they all they all leave us kind of uh, with questions and' kind of like looking at the future uh, tends to be very pessimistic for a lot of people because uh, they don 't know what the future has, and yet uh, as we look at the life of Paul and uh, the book of Philippians, the last time we looked at him, he was in prison and he was giving thanks. so um, there 's something about paul 's attitude towards life that really should be every Christian's attitude towards life. In fact, uh, it should be our outlook in life, not just past, but in the future. Look at the new year. What, what should be our outlook? How should we view uh, the future? And as a Christian, um, we have all the reason to be optimistic. Uh, our outlook should be always positive because of what we know in terms of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and so we're going to look at that this morning, and just look at Paul's joyful outlook in the new year. Actually, as he looked at the future, and think about it, he's in prison. Uh, he's been arrested. He's been in prison for two years. He's had a pre-trial, and he's still waiting for the final verdict, which is at the hands of, uh, nonetheless, Nero himself. Who, uh, if you know anything about Nero, he was unpredictable, and. Uh, was one of those people that uh, he didn't mind lighting you up as a candle in his garden, uh, dip you in tar, Uh, which he did a lot of Christians. And uh, so Paul's uh, standing, kind of waiting for that final decision. But as he does that, he tells us something about his attitude. So he's writing Philippians from prison. And he's writing with an understanding that he may or may not get out of prison, but what should be his, what was his outlook, and then how should that affect how we look at life. So we're going to look at a, a couple of things here this morning, but before we do, let's uh, turn over to uh, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 26, actually verses 19 through 26. And hear these words from God's holy and errant infallible word. And notice how he picks up. He, he picks up into this, this section right here in verse uh, 19. But actually, if you notice, in your Bible, uh, there's, uh, it breaks in the middle of verse 18. Paul says that he's been rejoicing. He rejoices in, in his circumstances or in his situation in, in prison. But he says, yes, and I will rejoice. So there's a break there. There's a new paragraph. Paul says, I've been rejoicing And in the future, I'm going to continue to rejoice. I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But with all full courage, and now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. because of my coming to you. And this is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, as we come uh, uh, to this wonderful text of Scripture, one of the the grand texts of Scripture, uh, Father, uh, we look to you for wisdom and for your grace as we think and as we reflect on what it means to uh, live as Christ and to die as gain. And, Father, as we look at the new year, we realize that we have no control over what our circumstances are, that you do, you are sovereign. And yet, Father, as we do look at the future, we know that, you're, uh, that our future is in your hand. And I pray for all the needs of the congregation, Father, that have been expressed. We pray for, uh, Father, the, those who are suffering, those who are struggling with health issues. Uh, we pray for those who uh, have... Uh, situations that uh, they have uh, questions about and they struggle with. Father, for for those who are discouraged, those who who need encouragement for the new year. And Father, as we come to you this morning, we look to you because we realize that everything that we need comes from the hand of God, and it comes to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, our precious Lord and Savior. We ask that you would open our eyes and our ears, and, and Lord, that you, would in, that you would instruct us from your word this morning by your Holy Spirit, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You notice uh, Paul says, I rejoice and I will rejoice. Now that's pretty optimistic, isn't it? Uh, especially if you're sitting in prison and uh, you've been sitting in prison for two years and you're chained between two guards, a Praetorian guard on the right, a Praetorian guard on the left. And uh, so Paul is talking about uh, circumstances that he has no control over, and yet his outlook is very joyful. And he's saying, not only have I rejoiced in the past, I'll continue to rejoice. And so as Paul is addressing uh, the Philippians, he wants them to know that there's something about living a life in relationship to Christ that takes, takes precedence over everything else in life. And he, he, so he views his life in, in, in this, this wonderful union between him and Christ. And that union between him and Christ is everything. And, and, it, and it helps him to look at all of life through that window. You know, one of the things that sells real estate, they say, especially in these big cities, uh, is as you go, uh, if you talk to a real estate or a person who's or a builder even, they'll say the thing that sells these big high-rise buildings and so forth, are the windows in those, in those buildings. In other words, the bigger the window, the better, because people want a view, right? They want to be able to look out over the city and see a big picture. Well, the gospel gives us a big window, a big picture of life that's not narrow and restricted by our circumstances. And so what Paul is saying is that he has this window, and that window of the gospel—the fact that our relationship to Christ really defines us, and it and it changes the way that we view our circumstances—is is is really something that the world doesn't know anything about. And so that's why Paul is makes such a such a point here in this section. And so his first point is this: is that. Has this confidence? The reason he has this outlook and is so joyful and optimistic is because, as he looks at what God's doing in his life, he can actually see. He has this confidence in God's plan that God's plan is working out the way God wants it to. You know, that's sometimes it's hard to understand that. But you notice he says, "Yes, I will rejoice for I know." When Paul says, "I know," he's saying, "I'm confident." there's no question about what's going on here. I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that what's going to happen will turn out for my deliverance. And so, so Paul is confident in God's plan that whatever God has for him, whether it's life or death, he can look at that and say, that's good. In fact, He's going to go on and say something even more dramatic. He's going to say even death is actually good for the Christian. And that's sometimes hard for us even because we live in a world in which, uh, you know, in fact, if you're a pastor, uh, the last thing people want you to talk about is death. If you talk to death, they get offended. In fact, there's a lot of times uh, they just kind of are, you know, they will even curse you out. What do you mean talking about something so negative around me? And yet that is, that's what Paul is, Paul is basically saying, look, when you're, as a believer, as you look at your relationship to Christ, that's the most important thing. And that one thing defines everything else around you. And so, so Paul says, I know, even though I may, not, I may not live another year, I'm confident that what's going to happen to me is going to turn out for my deliverance. Now, the question is, what does it mean that God's going to deliver Paul? Does it mean Paul's going to get out of prison? Or does it mean that Paul's going to die as a result of being in prison? Um, because he, he, he noticed that, and he tells us what that means in verse 20. As it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, notice whether by life or by death. So he's not, he's that, he knows that he's going to be delivered, but he's saying that his deliverance really is this is that he won't be ashamed of Christ. Now that's pretty amazing, isn't it? And he says that even if I, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to glorify, I'm going to honor Christ whether I lie, die or whether I live. By my life or by my death, I'm going to honor Christ. Now, that's a lot different than the health and wealth gospel that we hear today, right? <laughs> if you do this, boy, God's going to bless your life. In fact, you'll get these testimonies. I think the church has been heard a lot of times by these testimonies that, uh, you know, outward success will, is, is a reflection that you're in good standing with God. Um, if you get good grades and you get straight A's in, in school, then obviously God's on your side. If you get the job of your dreams, then obviously God is really on your side, but I'm not sure about somebody else that's not, that's not living that, that higher Christian life. See, Paul is, Paul is really saying that, look, living a, a relationship with Christ means that even in life or in death, I can glorify Him. Because the chief end of man is what? To glorify God, to enjoy Him forever forever even in life, but much more in death because to be absent from the body is what? To be immediately present with the Lord. And so Paul is, Paul is very excited and, and he's not so, uh, so focused on his situation that he doesn't acknowledge that, you know, the one thing that he's dependent on is the prayers of God's people. You know, we spend time asking for prayer. Why do we do that? It's because we're, we realize that we're not sufficient in ourselves. I mean, I can't deal with life situation. Most of us can't. I mean, there's things that come up in our life, uh, whether it's sickness, whether it's an accident, uh, uh, whatever it is, and we can't look to ourselves and think that we're sufficient in ourselves to deal with life. It's, you know, we need, we need God's help. And prayer is calling upon the Lord and saying, Lord, would you please help this person through this trial? Whether they live or whether they die, may they know that Christ is there with them through their trial. Because Christ leads us even through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Even in those moments when we say, Lord, I have no control over my circumstances right now. I remember going through heart surgery and, and thinking, okay, I thought I was going to be a catheterization. There was no catheterization. I was, my heart was too blocked. And they said, you're going into surgery, And I said, well, I'll I'll come back. They said, no, you're not going anywhere. (laughs) And they go in, and there's three bypasses, and I'm going, uh, as I'm praying there in the hospital, I realize that, you know, there's nothing I can do. My life is in God's hands in that moment, and it's actually every moment. But for that particular moment, there was a sense of peace because here I had my family, and I had uh, other brothers and sisters, and they were around my bed praying. And what a comfort and encouragement that was for, for Paul himself as the apostle who writes the book of Romans and he writes Corinthians and he's gr- written all these great things about, about the Christian life. He's saying, I'm, I'm dependent on that. I'm, I'm dependent on Christian people praying for me. I'm not too ashamed and too proud to, to ask for prayer. But, but not only that, notice he says that the Holy Spirit is also there supplying his need through his trial. And that word there that he uses for supply there in verse uh, 20, uh, he says that, Oh, uh, actually in verse 19, he says the Spirit of Christ will, he says right there, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance. That word there is has the idea of richly supply. It was a word that was used uh, for the person who was sponsoring uh, a uh, play and he, he would pay lavishly, he would pay for the cost of the orchestra as well as the singers and everything, everybody else. In other words, so this idea Paul is saying is that the help of the Holy Spirit, that God will richly supply everything that we need. Whatever trial that you're going through, whatever difficulty you face, Whatever uncertainty that's there, the Holy Spirit has been given to the Christian to richly supply them with God's help. That's the idea. Not just, I'll give you just, just oh, you need that? Well, I'll give you just enough. No, he's going to richly supply everything that you need in that moment. And, and Paul's saying that, that those are the things that's, that's helping him to have this confidence as he fu- faces the future. I don't know what the future holds for you or for me. But I do know who holds the future, right? And he will, through the prayers of God's people, and, and he will fully and richly supply everything that you need for the next step. Because I don't have control of that. Neither do you. But God will richly supply that. That's why the Spirit of God, it's so important to realize that God is dwelling in you through the Spirit, of, Spirit and that he supplies what you need When you need it, not, you know, I'd like, I always like to think of, uh, you know, isn't it nice when your bank account is full? (laughs) Okay, I've got this big expense coming, it's $10,000, boy, I'm glad I've I've got it there. But you know, when it's not there, and you know that the expense is there, and you're going like, I don't have any idea how I'm going to supply that need. The future, we don't know what's coming. But we do, but we do know the one who does, the one who's actually in control of the future and Paul is saying I'm confident I know <laughs> I know that whether by in life or in death I'm going to glorify Jesus Christ that in that moment when I'm tested and I'm asked to confess Christ guess what God the Holy Spirit will give me boldness remember in uh, uh, Acts chapter 4 chapter 5 Peter and John were told that they needed to stop preaching the gospel you know what they did They said we must obey God rather than men. Why? And it says that the church was praying for them and they were praying, and it says with boldness they confessed Christ, even with the threat of being thrown in prison. And then it says that as they as they preached, it says that the Sanhedrin, who hated the gospel, says they knew that those men had been with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? the boldness they they couldn't understand why could they be so bold and courageous how can we as christians face an uncertain future with confidence and with joy i can in other words i can face 2022 with a lot of joy because i know who holds 2022 into his in his hands and, and it's not it's not Congress, it's not the president, it's not the world leaders, it's Jesus Christ. He is in command. He is in command. We sometimes forget that, but Paul says, I, I believe in God's sovereign plan, and he says, and I believe that even as I sit in prison. Because guess what? He says, look at this, the Praetorian Guard is taking the gospel back to Caesar's household. Not only that, the brethren are being bold to preach the Gospel. And not only that, he says, even people are preaching the Gospel trying to do me in. Trying to stain my reputation, but you know, I don't really don't care because the only important thing is Jesus. And so, so that's, first, that's Paul's first thought here, but notice he goes on and he says, he gives us verse 21, which I think really in some ways capsulizes the whole section. It's right in the middle between these two sections, but it's the very essence of what it means to be a Christian. Notice what he says in verse 21, actually in verse, yes, verse 21, for to me, now this is his personal testimony, for to me, that's what he's saying, to me, this is my testimony, this is my confession, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now, in the original, the word the the is is not there. It's just it basically reads like this in, in, the, in the in the Greek text for for to me to live Christ to die gain there is no there is no uh, verb there. But because he's emphasizing that that the very definition the very motto of the Christian is I am so united to Christ through faith in Jesus Christ His death and resurrection that for to me to live is Christ's life. And to die actually is gain. To die, that, that, that death is not this fearful monster that I've always thought was there, that even death itself, that there's victory in death because I'm in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so the idea that, that, so Paul's perspective, his, his view, his testimony is, I know that as I look at the future for me to live right now, Is Christ now he's sitting in prison he's been he's probably been beaten he's been shipwrecked we know that Uh, he was bitten by a viper on the way there but if you were to ask people today could you define for me what it means to live what what kind of what kind of definitions would you get What—what what is life and they would say well life is about having a great job a great marriage having lots of money uh, taking great vacations. Um, life is life is, is is about is about me being on top, me being a winner. It's about me uh, uh, me uh, coming out on top and being you know being number one. Isn't that what people would say? They'd say, "Hey, that's what it means to live." I mean, to live is, is look is, is to not is to be calling the shots. It's to be in control, right? It's, it's, it's having God out there to bless me when I need him, but I'm actually driving the car. <laughs> That's what it means to live. Well, it, uh, well I'll, I'll, I'll call a Christian up if I, you know, and I'm a person, oftentimes they'll say, well, I'll call, a, I'll call a Christian up and ask them to pray for me when I get in a real jam. That God will change my circumstances. But not exactly, the idea is not I'll I'll call upon the Lord because I am so desperately in need of salvation and that without that, all the other stuff doesn't mean anything. And so Paul is saying, no, the Christian life is is Christ. Simple, clear, short, to the point. Uh, John Stott says this, The presence of Christ is the joy of my life, the image of Christ is the crown of my life. The Spirit of Christ is the life of my life. The love of Christ is the power of my life. The will of Christ is the law of my life. And the glory of Christ is the end and the destination of my life. See, if you're in Christ, if you're, if you've, if you're a believer... You know, for most of us here, we, we know what that means. We've, we've come to that place in our life where we thought, you know, what shall profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now, that's one people, I mean, people are living for, you know, for the temporal. Um, they're living, you know, the big bucks. I mean, it's not that those things, but none of those things are bad in themselves, for example, right? I mean, it's not wrong to want a good marriage, a good family, and good this and a good that. As long as those things aren't what you're trusting in. That Christ is first in my marriage and first in my family and first in my uh, job and first in those things. But what happens is that all of a sudden the world flips it upside down, don't they? You need this if you want to be happy. You, want, you, need, to be, you need this job if you want to be look, looked at as a success. You need this if you want to be satisfied in life. And Paul's saying, you know, no, that's not it. For me to live my life is to live my life out in relationship to Jesus Christ. And so his testimony, in some ways, kind of, it's kind of searching and frightening in a way. And then, I mean, think about it. Uh, life consists in my possessions. Well, how much do you need to be happy? Life consists in my economic freedom. Well, how much, how much economic freedom do we need to be happy? My 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 happiness depends on my political freedom. Well, you know, there's a lot of people who have a lot of freedom, and that they and they and they just they're so unhappy that they live in a country where they have freedom. <laughs> they're angry. they they just burn stuff down because they're so angry and they're living with that they have. You know, they live in a free country. Isn't it amazing? Or, or what about this? Uh, you know, how, that 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 living life is developing my talents. And my, my potential. Nothing wrong with that, right? As long as Christ is at the head of that. But Paul says something even more shocking. And I think this is the one that's really, it's, it, this is a hard pill to swallow. And that is, to die is gain. He doesn't just say that to, got, to die is good or to die is okay. He says to die is profit. He uses the word profit there. It's the word that we would say. Did you have a profit at the end of the year? And he said, Yeah, you know, the balance sheet was all in the positive. That's profit. Paul's saying to die for a Christian is profit. And he could say that because of how he understood what death means. Uh, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 just for a second. This is, this is I think, it's, it's important to stop here because. You know, it's hard for a per- person sometimes to think, well, wait, I, I've always been fearful of death. Uh, you know, my first funeral that I went to, I remember uh, my best friend, uh, I was six years old. He was five. Uh, it was a flood, kind of like a flash flood, and, and he ended up drowning, and I had to go to that funeral. And I could thought, that, I mean, you know, as a six-year-old, I mean, I had no idea. Uh, and to see him there in the, in the, in the, in the um, casket was, was very hard. Uh, but what does Paul say about the Christian? For verse one, for we know again he he's always confident that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Do you realize that you're just camping out right now? Hey, yeah, okay. These old bodies, you're camping. Now I don't know. I don't like camping. Do you? I mean, now some people do. That, but all my, my experiences of camping have always been negative, okay? Uh, my first time in camping, I remember uh, camping with my good friend Gene. We were in, uh, I think we were in junior high. And he says, look, Johnny he says, I got a tent and uh, I got this, uh, I even made a hobo stove. You know what a hobo stove is? It's a candle, wick, a little wick there. And he said, cuts out a little side on there and you put the candle under there and you just big tin can, heat that thing up and throw eggs on it. Oh, disgusting. <laughs> I remember waking up on the rocks. I remember uh, being wet. I remember eating these eggs that didn't look very good, but I had to eat them because Gene fixed them. And then I and, and and couldn't wait to get home to do what? Because I knew to get, get a good shower and bath and to eat my mom's cooking and sleep. <laughs> In a good bed. You know, and the next time I, I camped out, it was raining and I got soaking wet. And then the third time, I remember I had a, I said, Well, I'll do it this time. I'll do it right. I'll get a mattress that, that, that I can pump up. And I woke up that next morning and all the air had gone out. And I was miserable. And I thought the rest of the day, I said, I'm not camping anymore. But you know, that's what we're camping. And camping means temporary. This is not your permanent home that's what paul's saying he's saying you have a building from god and it's reserved in heaven for you and it's permanent and it's there's no health issues there's no sickness issues there's no sadness issues it's a building and it's reserved there and he's saying for me to be absent from the body is to be present with christ in my eternal dwelling, he says, "How can I have a negative attitude towards dying?" Now, I'm not saying that you go around saying, "Lord, when will I die?" I want to just get—I want to be home. Now, I've heard Christians say that, you know, I want to be—I want to go home and be with Jesus, and that's a good thing because they want to be close to the Savior. But and it's not saying that we should think of death as oh, this is—we should celebrate all the time. You know, uh, funerals are sad times. We look, the, the sadness is on our end. That's what funerals are. We're sad because we miss them. But guess what? Heaven rejoices. To be present with the Lord. That's what death means. So Paul says, I'm not, I'm not sad. John Adams uh, said this. Uh, someone asked him. He was walking down the street in Boston. And they stopped him and asked him how he's doing. And this is his reply. John Quincy Adams, sir, is quite well. I thank you but the house in which he lives at present is being dilapidated. It is tottering (laughs) upon the foundation. Times and seasons have nearly destroyed it. Its roof is pretty well worn out. Its walls are shattered. It trembles with the wind. The old tenement is becoming almost uninhabitable, and I think John Quincy Adams will have to move out soon. But he himself is quite well, sir, quite well. That's how we look at the future. To be present, to live as Christ, and to die is gain. Camping, like you said, it's just a reminder that this is not my term. This is not my destination. This is my preparation. What you go through now is your preparation for what? Your destination. And what is that destination? That when we see him, we shall be like him, for we will be changed into his likeness that's destination in other words perfect without uh, th- in other words we won't sit there and be regretting boy I'd wished I'd gotten to do that I wished I'd gotten to go to Disney World and I didn't get to I wished I'd gotten to go on that great vacation to Hawaii now you may have and maybe you know maybe we, we do get some of those things but we're not going to have those regrets in heaven I mean, if anything, was we'll say, Lord, I, I didn't realize it was going to be so wonderful and so great to be face-to-face with Jesus Christ. And what makes heaven heaven? Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ were not there, it wouldn't be heaven. It'd be a place. I, I mean, uh, I saw, can you imagine going to a wedding and not uh, one of the, the bridesmaids or the, or the uh, groomsman wasn't there? Or the, the actual, you know, can you imagine... Uh, the bride coming down the aisle, and she's saying, where's the groom? He's not there. Wouldn't be a very geral right? Or maybe the, I mean, even worse, I, I, thought, I think from my perspective, as the groom's standing there, and, and the music starts, and the, and the bride doesn't show up. I mean, what kind of, what? Now, there wouldn't be a whole lot of joy in that, right? And I remember uh, seeing this on, uh, it was on, uh, I think it was one of the, um, it was online. But anyway, this, uh, man and wife, they had been uh, engaged for a while, and so they planned their wedding. He got sick, and I guess he did his vows over, over uh, the media, because he couldn't be there. And so at the, at, uh, the wedding uh, celebration afterwards, she had a cardboard figure of her husband. And she's dancing with him. And I'm saying, oh, that's just something just something hollow about that. <laughs> but she's looking at this picture of him, and she's dancing. And I'm going like, there's just something unreal about that, isn't there? Well, that's not, that's not what heaven's going to be. <laughs> it's going to be face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? Face to face in all of his glory. That's what it means to look forward to being with Christ. And so Paul could say that, and, and and he could say that and say, That's why I can look at the future with that kind of optimism, with that kind of joy, with that kind of attitude of, you know, this is not all there is. But but there's something else here, and I want to close with this, is that Paul also has this conviction about his relationship to Jesus Christ, that he's a servant. He wants to go home and be with the Lord. But you know what he says? But it's more necessary that I stay. You notice that right at the verse 21 and 22. He says, for our sake, or actually I have to go back to Philippians. I'm back in Corinthians uh, Corinthians there. Sorry. So back in First Corinthians or Philippians chapter one verse twenty one, notice what he says or verse twenty two. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Notice this. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to be, depart and be with Christ, but that for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So what's Paul saying? Sometimes what we want and desire the most, and and for Paul to go home and be with the Lord was more what he desired. He says to desire that was really what was in his heart, but it was more necessary that he stay for the benefit of the church. Now I know that a lot of us have have heard—I mean, people who are have health issues saying, "I just can't. I don't understand why the Lord doesn't just take me home." Right? I've heard that hundreds of times. And I always, my same response is this, well, the Lord must have something more for you to do. Somebody for you to pray with, somebody for you to call, somebody for you to have. In other words, our life isn't finished until the Lord says it's finished as a believer. And and sometimes it's more necessary. What what a servant says, doesn't say, it's my will be done, it's thy will be done. And thy will oftentimes is God doesn't operate on your schedule. In fact, he never does most of the time. He doesn't operate on my schedule. And it's more necessary sometimes is that God has you in the place. He has you because he wants to use your life to be what? A blessing to someone else. And that's really, really important for us as believers to understand because as we look at the future and we say, well, you know, I might be get so sick and I might get so hard up that, that I can't really do anything that I think is really of any benefit to anybody. But never believe that. I remember reading uh, Johnny Erickson's uh, te- testimony. She's a quadriplegic. She was, she's been that way since 17 in a diving accident. She can't walk. She, she basically just move her neck. That's about all she can do. She, she, she's a great artist. She does art, art with her mouth, you know, brushing her mouth. But she got breast cancer on top of all of the other stuff that she had. And her attitude, as you, as she, she talks about the struggle she had. But God had more things for her to do. And her life has touched so many people. I mean, if you read her testimony or hear, I uh, was able to hear her one time uh, as she shared her testimony, and it just, you just go like, man, I don't, I don't have any kind of problems in my life compared to what she's gone through. See, that's, that's what it means for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, and, and sometimes staying where I am is exactly what God wants. But if being with Christ forever, and it is, the closer we get to Christ here in this world means that the more we'll enjoy our life in Christ now, right? We do that through the word, through fellowship with other brothers and sisters. Uh, and and, And in 2 Corinthians, Paul says the weight of our suffering is nothing compared to the weight of the glory that is ours. There in Second Corinthians, he says, "There's going to be yes, there, there's a weight of suffering that's involved in the Christian life, and sometimes it's hard to understand." He says, "But that can't even be even be compared with the weight of glory that is ours in Christ." I mean, that that's something to live for. That that's something to to, to shoot for in 2022 to say, you know, as I look at 2022, guess what? I, all I see is uh, all I see is moving towards one destination. I'm getting closer to Jesus, right? Yeah, my life—I've got fewer, fewer years to live, but guess what? I'm, but I'm getting closer, and the closer I get, the, I mean, it's kind of like you—you can, you can taste it, and it begins to become more real. And so, what will be your outlook on 2022 in the future? Well, I would trust that you, as you look at it, that your view will be an outlook will be much like Paul's. Because really, Paul's outlook is what a Christian's outlook should be. It's not just that this should be Paul because he's an apostle, but that it really should be your and my outlook. Is that we have, if we have Christ, we have everything that we need. And all the other things that God provides for us are just ways in which we can use, that we can live this life out and glorify him in our bodies, which are his anyway because he bought them. So and so, I, I, you know, there's a couple of things. One is don't let the world redefine what it means to live. I mean, we, we listen to the world too much. Television is telling you're missing the good life. I, I, I had a, a lady came to our uh, she was in grief share and on her license plate, living life. But if you talk to her and you realize if that's living life, I don't want any part of it. It was sad. It was really sad. It was just, her whole idea was, it was me, 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 me. And after you get through with me, 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 it's more me, 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 me. It was just all about her and about her, what she, all the great things she was doing and the great car she was driving and the great this and the great, and you're going like, you know, I don't hear anything about anybody else. Her life had just been defined by her stuff. And she was really sad she was trying to put on a front. But see, the world is trying to redefine what it means to live out your life in 2022. And to tell you, you need to be, oh, you should be depressed. Oh, things are so terrible. Oh, life is falling apart. Oh, things are just, they're not going to get any better. And you're going like, you don't know my Lord (laughs) because he's in command of the ship. And, when what he began, what, and he is working out his plan right now in 2022 and it's going, to glor, it's going to glorify him and every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, so being absent from the body or being present in the body is all good because if you know Jesus Christ. If you don't, then you need to say, Lord, I need you. I need to look at my life and I need to ask these questions. What does it mean to live life? And what does it mean if I die without Christ? Because there's a big difference between dying outside of Christ. And Paul doesn't talk about it here, but Jesus talked about it. He says, Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Hell is a real place. Because if hell is not real, heaven's not real. And we need to say that a couple of times, don't we? If hell, if, if hell is not real, heaven's not real. And you're living a dream. Either God's a liar or God's true. And if God's true, which I believe he is and he's always been true, he's never lied, then hell's a real place. And Jesus preached on hell more than he preached on heaven. Do you realize that? That's kind of scary. To face. Eternity without God should cause every person who's an unbeliever to tremble and to fall on their knees and say, Lord, save me. Lord, open my eyes to the beauty of what Christ did on the cross because when God said, God the Son said, it's finished, God the Father said, yes, that's all that ever needs to be done. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's the beauty of the gospel. I, I'm thankful for Paul. And you know, think about it. All the stuff that he experienced, he's saying, you know, I'm not. I don't regret any of that. He says, I wear. In fact, in one other place, he says, I wear the marks of Jesus. All the beatings he got. He got three beatings. That's forty stripes, save one. He says, and I wear those scar those scars of Jesus. But I wear them proudly. I boast in the cross by which the world's crucified to me, and I've been crucified to the world. Yes, I don't know what 2022 has for us, but I do know that it's moving towards one great end, and that's the presence and the coming of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for your promises, and thank you that we can look at 2022. Father, with uh, the great, joyful outlook that Paul had. And we give you all the praise and glory for it, because it's all because of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.